Welcome to Real Deep Stuff. We've saved your seat at the table for this conversation. We're so glad you're here. This podcast discusses sensitive topics such as suicide and depression. Listening to this podcast may be upsetting to some listeners and may trigger unpleasant feelings or memories. If you're feeling overwhelmed or distressed, please consider seeking help from a qualified mental health professional before listening. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. Welcome, everyone. We have a very special guest with us today, Lindsay Lee. I am humbled to call her friend, and she's someone I personally admire and respect more than she probably realizes. She's been through heartbreaking tragedy, and yet she remains so strong and resilient. As a young wife and mother, Lindsay lost her husband to depression and suicide, but she's found the strength through her faith to remain positive and move forward in life. She's honestly one of the bravest women I know. She survived a horrible tragedy that changed the landscape of her family forever. But she also has a huge heart and is determined to hold her family close through it all. She juggles life with extraordinary grace, a sense of humor, wisdom beyond her years, and strength that she says comes from the Lord. Lindsay perseveres and continues to inspire all who know her. She's living a full and meaningful life with her daughters and is here to share her courageous story with us. We're honored to have her with us today. Let's join the conversation. So David and I met my, so the summer before my junior year of college, um, we were both camp counselors at Carmel's church camp. And the weird thing is, is like we had both been counselors there years and years before and like never noticed each other and then um after camp which was only a week it's always his birthday either like during camp or after camp and so I just like messaged him on Facebook like happy birthday and then he like responded back I'm usually not (laughs) like people usually don't respond back I don't feel like but he responded back and then we just kind of like started talking and then Um, my school, the start date, I feel like, is usually a little later than regular, like, public schools, because I went to Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama, and so, um, we had time, like, after church camp to, like, go on a few dates, and then, um, we did the long-distance relationship for two and a half years, and that was hard. I came here more just because of my class schedule worked out better with than his work schedule. And then we got married. So I graduated nursing school in December. And then in April, we got married, April 2016. And then he already had a townhouse, so I moved in with him. And then, um, yeah, we were like happily married. And then we moved um, to Matthews and got our first house and then we lived there so I got pregnant with Emmy 2018 uh, and I had her August 3rd 2019 and that whole time David was 
fine. I think towards the end of like my pregnancy is when he he was always a perfectionist and he liked to have a plan. And you know, when you're like pregnant and you're about to give birth, you have no idea what day, you have no idea what time. And that like kind of had him on edge a little bit because I ended up going like a whole, exactly a whole week late. So I was 41 weeks pregnant with her when I had her. That must have felt like a, a year late. Forever. Right? <laughs> In the heat of the summer. So, and I'm not a summer person, so it was already like, oh my gosh. So with that, so I had her on August 3rd. Oh, that's my birthday. Oh, it is? Oh my goodness. I didn't realize you didn't realize that. Cool day. <laughs> After that, so he had, I think, like two weeks, you know, paternity leave or something like that. And he was fine. I mean, you know, it's like the new dad, like, nervousness. Like, oh my gosh, learning how to change a diaper and, you know, burping a baby. The lack of sleep and all that. And I think somewhere, it's not like I never had any, like, expectations of him. But I think he had these expectations of himself. Like, I should know how to do this. da 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 and, like, for me, I was like, you're a first-time dad. You, like, learn as you go. Your first child is your trial, baby. Like, yes. <laughs> it's like, you know what you learn from this one, you don't do with the second <laughs> one. So he had a lot of expectations of himself. And then I think it was probably four to six months after Emmy was born that I had noticed I was like he's like not himself he is not as like he was very goofy very funny like we had this very playful relationship it was like potty humor and all this and like he lost that spark and it was like he was very hard on himself and like kind of down and he didn't mention this to me, but I had told him, I was like, I, I really think you're, you're struggling with depression. And he was like, mm, I don't know. And then it took him a little while to like warm up to the fact. And I think what I thought it was, I thought he was going through like postpartum depression because men can go through that too. And so I was like, maybe it's like the whole life change. Like, you know, it's it's a big change, you know, going from... Yes, it is. <laughs> just being a couple and then adding a, a child. And Emmy was, she was a hard baby, I do have to say. There was not a lot of sleep going on. So, I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe this is postpartum depression. And so we thought that until we started going to see um, a counselor at church and then they, they did kind of like an assessment and we were just talking about like what it's like and all that and they were saying, you know, I don't think this is postpartum depression I, and I don't think this is like a chemical depression. This is a situational depression and so at that Right before Emmy was born, David had changed jobs, like I think a few months prior, like two or three months prior. And it was going from a bigger company to a smaller company. So he had he had to take on more like job roles and all that. And so 
because he was a perfectionist and like if David said you know like I'll do this like he's gonna do it he's not one of those flaky people that just Mm -hmm. you know was a half job kind of thing so for him it was I think the combination of you know you've got a new job and you have a new baby and that's a lot of change in a short amount of time and when you have the personality that David had of being a perfectionist and, you know, if if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all in and I'm going to do the best I can, it, it was a lot of expectation and it was on himself. Like, nobody expected it. Maybe, I don't know if his job really did, but I had very low expectations, but not in a bad way, but like in a realistic way, like, you know, you're a first-time dad. It's good. a lot of grace. You're, yeah, you're you're gonna make mistakes, and that's to be expected. I mean, you don't have to be perfect. But I think he had this like feeling like I I need to be really good at this, and so he didn't tell anybody that he was struggling with depression until fall 2020. But that summer of 2020 was probably the worst of his depression as far as, like, he really was in a dark space. And, like, um, like uh, my family, we went to the beach, um, and he was invited, but he didn't come until, like, the very end, and he only came for, like, two days, I think when he was invited for like the whole week but I don't think he had the mental capacity to be able to you know enjoy something like that he had he needed his alone time and so like depression for him looked a lot like um so he worked from home like when COVID all happened that also didn't help (laughs) no (laughs) and he like his extracurriculars were jujitsu and like guitar and playing for church and stuff and so when COVID happened you know everything shut down so he wasn't able to do his jujitsu and jujitsu was like a way for him to like get out I think his frustrations and his like built up energy and anger at like truly having these expectations of himself um and then playing the guitar was just a way for him to like mellow out at night just to like get his body to and mind to just shut down and just relax into the evening you know i'll mention i just i i didn't notice on the outside yeah. he must have hit it really well i know he, he played was very good at hiding yeah. it yeah he played at the worship team mm-hmm. and on sunday mornings mm-hmm. and he and my husband uh, ministers yeah. together with the children and the family yeah night he, he hit it very well nobody had any idea like his his parents didn't have a, any idea um I, we finally sat his parents down because they're in dc but they came to visit um it was like august it was like i feel like around emmy's maybe it was around emmy's first birthday or something like that and we sat them down and I was really proud of David because I was not expecting him to say because we were just eating dinner and it's not like we planned to say it like tell them or anything but I was like all along I knew this was something that he had it was something he had to share it's not something that Mm -hmm. I can be like hey David's struggling with depression it's like 
his story. It had, it, yeah, it, it had to come from him. And so his parents, we were all sitting at the table, and he told them, he was like, I've been struggling with depression. And at first, I think, you know, when somebody says something like that, you're like, no way. Like, you can't. And that, that was the reaction. And, like, we were like, yeah, he, he really is. And nobody had any idea. He, like, going out and about, I mean, he was, like, smile on his face, like, playing the guitar on stage in his own little world when he gets to playing guitar. And so I think when he did open up to his friends, um... I think they accepted it and they were like, you know, they talked to him, but I, I look back and I'm like, wow, I, I feel like we probably could have done more, but I don't know what that would have looked like as far as more. Like, yeah, we talked about it and, but when he got to his like depressive state, he like shut down and he like, he had to like go away. So like his office in our house, that was kind of his like alone space. That's where he had his like work stuff, but he also had his like guitar stuff. So like when, um, when he was like struggling with his depressive, like I call them episodes. I don't, I don't really know what they are, but <laughs> that works. I um, he didn't, it's, his depression was not like he didn't have, he didn't stay in bed all the time. Like, I feel like if you're in a really deep depression, you don't have the energy to get out of bed. You just stay in bed and you don't do much because you don't have the energy to function like that. He, he only had, I think, like two times where he did that. And I think as like a, a young mom and a young wife, I was like, yeah, but don't you want to go do like, let's, it's the weekend, let's go do something fun. And looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, but that's all like looking in the past. You can't do that. And no, 2020 like, uh, hindsight. Yeah. I mean, I was naive. I had no experience with dealing with depression because I'm, I'm not depressed. And so I, I don't know what that feels like. And so, um, so for him, he had like two episodes of that, but then mostly it was just, he would retreat and go to his office. Um, and he would play the guitar and he would, he would just need like alone time. And so, um, and I have to say, like, he did become more, like, short-tempered. He was never, like, aggressive or anything like that. But just, like, on edge. And so, like, if he, like, I don't know, if something bothered him, like, at work, if they were, like, had these, like, unrealistic deadlines and they'd, like, spring it up on him, like, at the very last minute, he'd be on edge. And so... So that December 2020, he was, he was totally fine. January, he seemed fine. And February, honestly, he was fine. 
until I worked on February 24th. And then I got a text at uh, 6pm, so my shift is 7am to 7pm. So I got a text from him at 6pm saying, you need to get home now, I'm about to lose it. And I was like, hey, like, my shift ends in like 45 minutes, I give report to the next nurse, I will be home as soon as I can, it'll probably be 7.15, just put Emmy to bed or turn on a movie or something like I will be I will be home soon but I can't leave right now like there is no one to take these patients till the very end because in my mind I'm not thinking like you know that he's like in this whole terrible just mental state so I get home that night and he is walking out of Emmy's room and he's put her to bed and he just like word vomits like you know work put an unrealistic expectation and deadline on him and they sprung it on him at the very last minute and he's supposed to get it done and so so he goes to his office and then he comes out like 30 minutes later and he says, hey, I'm going to go to Harris Teeter. I need to go get some wine. And I said, okay, go for it. And I'll be back. So he went to Harris Teeter. He came back. He had some, he brought like two bottles of wine with him. Then he went to his office. And I called it a night like sh at 10 o'clock. I was like, all right, take a shower, go to bed. All right. And when he was in those like mental states of just like, frustrated it would for him it didn't do any good if I came in there and was like hey you doing okay it, it, that that wasn't what he needed at the time so I was like I'm just gonna give him a space I'm gonna go to bed and then I knew he would probably stay up way late because he was a night owl and he'd probably play the guitar and then knowing he was in such a foul mood with work he usually, when he was in a terrible mood, he wanted to sleep in the guest bedroom, which was like right across from his office. So I was like, okay. Well, I woke up February 25th at like 6 or 6.30, which was earlier than I normally wake up. And I just had this like horrible feeling. And I've never like felt this feeling ever. I woke up and I was like, And he wasn't beside me, which I wasn't really expecting him to be beside me. Be beside me. Um, so I got up and I walked across the hall to see, you know, if he was in the guest bedroom. And I saw the guest bedroom door was open and he wasn't in the bed. And I was like, ooh, this is really weird. Because I always woke up before him. And then I turned and his office door was closed but there was a light shining underneath the door and I knew the lights were on and I was like this is not good because he's never up before me and I, it's almost like I probably subconsciously knew something but in that moment you you're not you don't know that and I opened the door and he was in there um, 
and I won't go into details because that's only like my closest friends and family. Um, suicide um and it's just something i want to protect the girls from um until they're old enough and they if they want to know if they don't want to know i it's definitely something i don't like want to share with them unless they um completely understand want to um so um so i found him um and as soon as I touched him, he was uh, ice cold. Um, and so I knew, like, I, I couldn't do anything. And I think, like, as a nurse, you're, you're used to, like, saving people. And you do everything you can to, like, bring them back to life if you know, if they code while you're at work. But it was, I think, knowing he was so cold and he was so gone, I, like, there was nothing for me to do. So I immediately left the room. Um, and Emmy had woken up at that point, but I had to go get my phone that was in my bedroom. Um, and I had to call 911. And that's like something, you know, you like talk about calling 911 when you're like little or, you know. But until you have to do it, it's like so weird. And so I called 911 and I grabbed Emmy from her crib and I had closed the door to the office so she couldn't see anything. Um, and you know, the, um, the operator, they don't let you get off the line until police comes to the house. Um, and so it felt like the longest, I don't even know if it was five or 10 minutes. I mean, it wasn't very long, but it felt like forever because I just wanted to get off the phone with this stranger and I just wanted to call my parents. So, um, could have somebody that was, you know, family, um, with me, um, and so the police get there, um, and they, I tell them where he is, and, um, they take care of all that, and then, um, you have to have, you know, like a, I don't even know if it's a medical examiner, I don't know, somebody shows up in the, um, and they like have to interview me of like what all happened um, or what I think happened. Um, and then um, I was not there when they took his body out of the house. And my dad, he took me home, well to their home um, with Emmy because I told him, I was like, I just need to get out of this house. I. I can't be here right now, and so, um, 
Yeah, February 25th was the last day I spent in that house because I knew as soon as we left that house, I was like, there's no way I can live in that house again. Like, we love that house, but it was just knowing that that's where he died. Um, I just, I don't, I couldn't live in there. Um, so it took me a while when we were like clearing everything out to even be able to like step foot in his office, which is where he did commit suicide. Um, it, like I had to have my dad like bring me stuff out of there and I, yeah, it was just awful. Um, and it's like weird when you're, when you're going through the process of like looking at stuff after you know your husband dies it's like your house and like the stuff you have it's just stuff it's it's not um and I look back and I'm like oh my gosh I used to like think this stuff was so great and like important and it's just stuff um even things that have sentimental value, it's almost like it can feel like the life goes out of those things yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really the only things that I really treasure are just pictures. Um, because, you know, that's where we see him. Um, and that's what I can show the girls. And, but like... I still have his guitar stuff, and there's certain guitar things that I won't ever get rid of. Um, like his favorite electric guitar and his favorite acoustic guitar, those will always stay with me. But he had so much like guitar pedals and all this stuff, and that, it, I think it took me a little while to like get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I need to sell this because I hate that it's just collecting dust at this point. It, it, it just is because I don't know how to play the guitar. Like, I can't enjoy these things that he did. Um, and I'd rather, and I think he would have felt the same way, I'd rather have somebody who enjoys playing the guitar get to enjoy, like, the some of the stuff. So... After we moved in with my parents and we were kind of settled, I had his like friends come and like they bought a few things that they wanted, but I still have so much stuff that it's, it's just sitting. But I, I have to like have somebody do like go through it with me because I I don't know what stuff is worth and I have no idea. So we moved in um, with my parents. So he. Uh, passed away on a Thursday and then we had his funeral on uh, on a Sunday because I did not go to church that morning but we had his funeral that, that afternoon um, we were there that morning yeah. and wow you guys are deeply loved yeah. it was it was pretty uh, emotional yeah yeah um and honestly, like, I wasn't originally going to speak at his funeral. Um, 
I didn't think I would be able to. And then like the, I think this Saturday before, I, I just had this feeling like, I want to honor him um, and share with people like how great he was. Um, and I wanted to, to really share, I think, that depression isn't something to be ashamed of. And I wish, like, we, we hadn't, you know, done more or, like, he was a little bit more willing to go to counseling. Um, but you know that's living in the past and you can't, you can't live in the past. Um, and so we had his funeral on that Sunday. And it all feels like a blur. <laughs> um, that whole week did. You um, were amazingly <laughs> brave and strong. And you honored him so well. I I don't think I even breathed while you spoke. Because I just kept thinking, how is she? Yeah. You know, we know that was God's mm -hmm. strength. Yeah. But I was so proud of you and still you. so proud of you you did a great job thank you so um after his funeral um the exactly a week after he died i found out i was pregnant with our second and honestly it's not like I think you can like just it's natural to compare and you know when you first find out you're pregnant with your first baby it's like oh my gosh I'm so excited you're shocked you're in shock but you're also like oh my gosh and I like I was so numb and like I could not process anything I was like looking at the stick and I was like, oh my gosh. And I like went on with my day. I did not tell a soul. I didn't, cause that exactly a week after David died, we went to the Whitewater Rafting Center and um, we released balloons. And I I knew that at the, that day that I was pregnant, I had, I had already, found out that I was pregnant, but I didn't tell anybody. And I, I think I needed to sit in what I was realizing before I told anybody. And then I told them the next day, I told everybody all together, Lee's and the Bryan's family. Um, we were sitting, eating lunch or dinner. I have, I have no idea, I can't remember. Um, and everybody was sitting down and I said, I need to share something with you guys. And I said, I'm pregnant. And they were like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it's, it's so hard to, like you've just felt and gone through like so much hard and pain and then, you know, you have a, a baby and it's like, 
that I think that was the first time like I was introduced to like you know feeling both and both complete heartache and joy um but in that moment I was so fresh in my grief that I I really could not feel the joy I felt the heartache and I knew I was happy for what this meant for for Emmy and for me but I could not quite feel the happy yet um I was very thankful um because I'd always wanted more than just one um baby and I had been like talking to David I was like David like Emmy would love to have a sibling like look at her she's playing with her babies and um but I think he also was like you know Lindsay let's be realistic here like I'm I don't want to introduce a child another child to this world yet if I'm still struggling with depression and which I I understood and I think you know it was selfish of me to want to do that but like you know when you have that hope I think you, you know you like cling to that hope and um, I think what brought me through a lot of the initial grief was like having Emmy, which is like 18 month old is a total distraction from, you know, everything else. Um, but also having that hope of like, wow, there's an, a life growing inside of me and there's something to look forward to. And it's, I, I, I needed that more than I realized. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I had Abigail, um, November 7th, 2021. And it, labor for her, I had a hard labor with Emmy, but labor with Abigail was, was harder. And I think a lot of that had to do with the inner you're you're grieving knowing David wasn't gonna be there the birth experience was gonna be totally different but I didn't it's different having your mom at your birth versus your husband and like my mom was great but you know it's it's different sure and so um, I think the longer labor the second time around just had a lot to do with the inner turmoil of wrestling with, oh, he should be here. I wish he was here. Um, and he wasn't. Um, I couldn't be happier with, with who God put in my life with him and Abigail. Um, They've given me so much joy. When it was so dark. And I think you really can't, when you hit that rock bottom, you, there's nowhere to go but up. Um, and so I think having my girls is like a, 
a distraction. Um, it has helped. I mean, yeah, I, I have hard days. <laughs> um, but you also don't realize like how strong you become um, until like looking back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have grown so much um, in the almost two years that he has been gone. It's like you have to. Do you think that um, the role of mom has helped kind of kickstart that growth kind of like yeah I, I think so um like I've, I've told my friends that I'm like I I really don't know what like how I would be now if I didn't have my girls um like I don't know where I would be in in like my grief journey um because they're a healthy distraction um, and it's, you know, I, they're the most important thing to me right now and I get to put my focus on them but I also, I, I know I have to also focus on myself to to heal um and I think a lot of healing has happened um I mean that first year nobody nothing can prepare you for your first year of firsts of um and I think what was so hard for me that first year was it just felt like an anniversary a holiday a birthday it felt like something was happening every single month and it was like I would get to a point where I felt not great but I felt okay and then it'd be like oh it's our, our wedding anniversary and then I'd be like oh and then you get past that and then it was like oh now it's, I don't know, Easter or whatever. Um, and so, and I think in the year of first, it's, it's not necessarily always the holiday or the anniversary or the birthday that's hard. It's, sometimes it's just the anticipation of what that day is going to be like. And sometimes you build up the anticipation rebuild up that holiday so much more and then when that holiday comes it's actually okay and then like for me I thought Father's Day would be so hard um, just thinking of like you know he should be here we should be celebrating him and Father's Day was actually okay but Mother's Day killed me I was like oh my gosh like why am I so emotional on a day that I'm not one of those that expects like gifts and all that stuff and I, I never really made a big deal about like Mother's Day or anything that for myself 
that it just like took me by complete surprise that I was feeling all of this like grief on Mother's Day versus Father's Day. And after the first year, it gets better. Like holidays, I think, yes, you do realize their absence and you do realize they're not there and they should be there and like kids opening presents and, you know, and like, but it's not as fresh and as almost like debilitating as it was that first year. And I think like one area where I notice a big difference in like how I feel is when Emmy has a birthday versus when Abigail has a birthday. Um, with Emmy, I I think of like I have memories of what he like him being there for her first birthday, and so I, I notice his absence at her birthday, but it it it's not it's not very difficult. It's like gotten better. But like with Abigail, because he didn't even know about Abigail and he wasn't at her birth and he, she, she doesn't know about him really. She's a bit, she just turned one. <laughs> um, that I don't have those memories to think back on and to reflect. And so I don't feel that same pain for her birthday. Yeah, there's a pain of like, oh, I wish he knew about her and I wish she knew about him. But I th there's just not that memory of him being at her first birthday um, where there is that with Emmy. So it's, it's, learned, it's very strange having, you know, you have two children, but one knows about her dad and, and one has no clue and you can show pictures but you know that's it's different and I know eventually and I really think Emmy is getting to the point of you know she only truly remembers him based on pictures and I think that was a hard like pill to swallow at first was like knowing that because Emmy was only one and a half when he died, like, realistically, you don't have memories of when you were one and a half. Um, so knowing that she, she will forget about him, like, her actual memories, and this is just, she's just going to remember him based on pictures, that was hard to like come to, to grips with and it's just like things like that that nothing can prepare you for small realizations like wow he loved you so much um and unfortunately she's she was so young that she won't she won't get to really remember the love that he had for her. Um, 
really glad that she's got you to yeah. remind her. Yeah. I know you've written about um, their little game they'd play, like he'd be in the office oh, and yeah. call back and forth. <laughs> yes, yes, they would play. So he would be in his office and she would go running to his office door and, Dada! And he'd be like, Emmy! <laughs> Dada! <laughs> and, um, so it's, it's things like that that I'm like, oh, it's, you almost look back and you wish she was older, but then it's also like, oh, how much harder would that have been on any, um, had she been older? And like we, um, I had her go to some like, um, play therapy church um and I, I think one thing we don't realize like is like how resilient kids are and it's like she really shows no signs of like grief play um which can often look like burying objects and stuff like that um and so we haven't had to do like any more grief play um to see if there was anything she was like processing but she does talk about him, like, I miss Dada, um, and, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you're like, I wish I could go to heaven and see him, and I'm like, oh, I know, but I don't want you to go there yet, <laughs> you know, um, so it's, it's still hard, um, like when she asks about him, um, but it's, we just talk through things, and I think at, at their age they need concrete verbiage, and so I know heaven is not concrete at all for a, <laughs> well, she's three and a half now, but like, at their age, they need, you know, he died. They need finality. They don't need um, heaven. But I, and I think it's probably a way of almost protecting and softening my pain selfishly. Um, saying Dada's in heaven sounds a lot sweeter. <laughs> Um, and Dada died. Sure. I think there's a hope um, in heaven um, and that heaven brings um, where um, died is, it feels very final. Um, and so I think give her that hope that she will see him again. Um, I think it, for her, it, it does help. Um, so I do use heaven with her, but I do also use the word died. Um, but I usually, <laughs> it's saying, Dada died, but he's in heaven. And so, I think a hard part has been um, 
since she's been at school. Um, it's, you know, seeing dads drop off their kids at school and pick them up and our, her, her age group, they, um, they had a, uh, donuts with dad day, um, and we did not have that last year, so this year was, like, the first time, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, like, hard. I'm having to be dad and mom, and, and I know she knows that she can see, like, you know, the rest of her classmates have a dad, um, and, um, I'm having to fill both roles, and I, I don't know how she truly feels, like what she thinks when she sees those dads in her classroom. I can only imagine. It just like breaks my heart for her. Um, and I know that, I, I mean, we'll go through this every year. <laughs> um, and it, it, it should get easier. Um, and I think this year it just was hard because it was the first time. But um, it's just small reminders like that of that it's like, oh. So like um, after David died in February, um, the school was like super gracious and we were like, hey, um, we would really love for Amy to be in Lee school. Um, and we'll open a spot for her. That's the local preschool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that way I would have like a few days a week that I was just like, I had some me time <laughs> and could process and which ended up like, you know, prenatal appointments or what. Um, but it, um, I think the, the first day of school was just like, wow, this is supposed to be moms and dads dropping off their kid for the first time, or like, you know, taking a picture with mom and dad before you go to school, and I dropped her off, and I was like, oh my gosh, I cried. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're two, and... I am trusting that someone, a stranger, will take care of you. And I think that was so hard because I was like, I just lost David. I am like clinging to my two-year-old. Um, because she's so precious to me. Um, to to grow and to have space for me and to heal um, even if it was just like four hours two days a week um, but that felt like such a big step um, that's a huge step yeah and I think like 
this year it was <laughs> completely different. Uh, after I added, you know, Abigail to the mix, um, I was like, oh, thank God for school. <laughs> 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 I need a break. Um, because being a single mom is so hard. Um, and working yeah. with that, yeah. And I'm really bad about asking for help. And so I, I've i realized, and I'm trying to get better about this, but I'm, I'm still not the greatest, is realizing I need to give myself a break. Um, because I, I think... I don't want to feel like a burden on someone when I ask for help and I I've come to realize it's people want to help and I'm not being a burden but it's taken me a long time to to figure that out I think sometimes people don't know what to say so they're like if I could do something right and I think honestly like if there's something I had to like like any advice I would give to, to people that are like friends of somebody who's just lost somebody, it's just show up. Your silence is deafening and it's very lonely um, being a widow. And when words are not spoken or you're not there, it we notice that. And it's not necessarily that I need you to say the right thing. It was like, I just wanted somebody to be okay with sitting with me. If Even if we were silent and I was just crying, I just wanted somebody to sit with. Because I, I didn't have that anymore. I, I lost my person. Um, and I think what was hard was people like expected to be there for me weren't and you know friendships fizzled but then I gained like two really 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 good friends um that have walked through this um before me it wasn't um it wasn't a spouse but it was a, a sister who had committed suicide and I had, like, we could just be real and, like, talk about deep things and, like, questions and, like, that was the first time I feel like I've had a friendship where I could just be real. And I think something that I've, like, learn throughout this whole process is I cannot stand just fluff conversations like I I want like to know you and you to know me and I want to know if you're going through a hard time like I think because I spent um almost two years kind of covering up David's depression and not telling anybody about it because he wasn't ready to tell anybody about it. 
I thought, like, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I feel like I was so fake. Like, mm. <laughs> I, mm. I wasn't honest um, with what was really going on. And you can post pictures and everybody looks happy, but it doesn't really show what's going on. And I think that's where our society is so messed up is that everything is based on a highlight reel and everything looks fine and dandy. Um, when in reality, there's, there's hard stuff going on behind those images. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I think people do that, why we post mm-hmm. the highlights, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of unhealthy oh, yeah. reasons why, and For a sure. lot of places that go nowhere good. Right, right. Um, but I also think that with social media, all the unhealthy stuff aside, mm-hmm. that you know, you weren't sharing the full story because you were protecting his privacy, his story, his wishes. And I kind of call it like, at least the way I use social media, Mm -hmm. like grocery store conversations. Like you're just doing your thing. You're going to go get milk or whatever and you run into someone. That is not really going to be probably the time that you go, okay, let's go to, you know, level 10. Right. You know, (laughs) we were only going to be here for two seconds. It's just not the right time or place. Right. So I um, completely honor Mm -hmm. that you were honoring him because it's not the time or place to do that. So I hope maybe, you know, over time you're not too hard on yourself because you weren't doing the facade fake, like shallow thing. You were guarding and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Um, So, um, and I think, you know, you, you learn as you go and, I think giving myself grace is something I'm I'm learning. Um, if I can't, you know, be mom and dad at the same time because I'm having to be, you know, the fun parent, but also the you need to obey and you need to listen. I'm learning as I go. Your race is extraordinary, extraordinarily hard. Yeah. Extraordinarily beautiful. You have been incredibly open yeah. about your journey. Um, it's been a privilege to read about that. Mm-hmm. And the openness that you're willing to be, you are a fierce advocate yeah. for people getting help that need to. Yeah. I can't say thank you enough for being here because there's so many layers to your story that people can relate to so many layers um i kind of was i was thinking about our time and i thought how can i help be a voice piece for them someone who's listening going mm-hmm. but i have i have questions so yeah. if it's okay would love mm-hmm. to maybe be their voice yeah. and ask some questions mm-hmm. if they were sitting here so like what was it like living with someone with depression on like what was it like for for you on a daily basis um so when David was struggling with depression, it it honestly felt like on the bad days, it felt like I was walking on eggshells in my own house, which was so hard. 
like home is supposed to be, you know, where you can be yourself and just relax. And I felt like I was trying to um, do everything possible to create a peaceful home, um, to create, like, to have as few distractions and things that might set him off or upset him. And I, I hated that I, I felt that, that way, but it, I wanted him to be okay and to not have anything that would just make his day bad. And so I, I felt like I was really like, not necessarily like keeping Emmy from him on his bad days, but like I would just take Emmy out and we would be out of the house for as long as we needed to be until I, I thought he would be okay. And I think that's just, you know, you're wanting to protect your child from seeing her dad in a depressive state. But also I think at one, one and a half, I, that there's not much that they, that, that they really are. I don't feel like that they can really understand. Um, but I wanted to create and just have a peaceful home um, that would hopefully allow him to process whatever he was processing and hopefully just kind of keep a calm environment. Did you find that being that role of peacekeeper, you had to forfeit some of your own inner peace with yourself? Yeah. Um, I, I really felt like uh, it was almost like death to self. Um, I gave up things that brought me joy so I could be home more with Emmy because I knew his jujitsu and his like music stuff was like outlets that he needed and that that created like a peace in him and he was able to let out his frustrations and so I think I mean also COVID happening was also not mm. <laughs> not great because it was like you know you kind of became confined at home and there was there just was not the space to be able to like do what we do now and what we did before like COVID happened but I I did feel like I lost part of myself in the process of of trying to keep the peace at home because I wasn't able to do things that brought me joy and were an outlet for me because being a mom is hard and it's hard being around your, your kids 24 7 and you need an outlet and I I just I didn't have the space for that must have been very draining because kids, mm -hmm. when they're that little, you know, they, they need to be the center right. of your world because they're completely dependent right. on the parents mm -hmm. for survival. Mm -hmm. So they're mm -hmm. already 
And then when you open that up and now you have a husband, mm -hmm. then you're also leaning yeah. into that drains yeah. someone very quickly. And I don't think I've realized truly like how draining it was until I look back now and I'm like, wow, I feel like I was just running on fumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah you were. Um, so coming from a place of a deficit of self, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. could you, and any questions that you don't want to answer, that's yeah. totally okay. fine. Could you walk us through like your initial, just what you were feeling mm -hmm. and thinking mm -hmm. when you found him? So when I first found him, I mean, it's like complete shock. Even though I woke up with that, like, that horrible feeling and, like, something was very wrong, it's still a shock because, yeah, you have that bad feeling that something happened, but you never expect it to be, like, he committed suicide. And so I think... The first day, I, I just remember crying all day long. I had no appetite. I, like, people tried to, like, get me to eat something or drink something. And I was like, I literally cannot stomach anything right now. It's just, like, you're so... And then I think after... You're still in shock the, the, first, the first bit, but then it's... Then it's like you grow numb, and you're like, did that really happen? And then, and I think, you know, like, there's grief stages, but you feel them, you don't go through them, like, it's not linear at all. And so, I think in the beginning, I was like, oh, I could never be angry at David. Um, because this is not something, if he was in his right state of mind, that he would have done. And I think it's taken me a while, but I, I have not lingered in the anger stage of grief, but I have felt it. And there's only like a few occasions that I have felt it. And I remember the first time I felt angry with him was I had two sick kids <laughs> mm. and I was a mm. single mom and yeah, that'll do it yeah. yeah and I was like oh my god you're supposed to be here like you should be helping me and I'm doing this by myself and I'm exhausted how could you do this but it's I'm just not naturally an angry person so like for me I it's been quick like episodes of where I I feel the anger but then I'm also like I realize he was not himself in that moment that he did take his life but if if David was fully aware of what he was you know feeling I think he would have grabbed me or like not done it but he was in this like deep dark tunnel and he could not get out mm. and that's all he saw this concludes part one of our conversation with Lindsay 
Continue listening to part two to hear the rest of her story, her thoughts, and her very wise advice for friends and family who are helping others struggle with mental health. There's a special treat at the end of our conversation that you don't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to Real Deep Stuff. Follow us to save your seat at the table for our next conversation.